Welcome to Concordia Journal Currents. My name is Jeff Cloa, Associate Professor at Concordia Seminary St. Louis. And with me today is Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs, the author of a new commentary on Matthew, actually volume two of his projected three-volume commentary on Matthew in the Concordia Commentary series. Welcome, Dr. Gibbs. Thank you, Dr. Cloa. We have the same first name. Yeah, so it's a little <laughs> confusing today. All right. That's all right. Well, uh, this is now volume two of your, uh, what will ultimately be three volumes on the Gospel of Matthew. Right. Um, I won't ask about why the length. That's a little bit impolite, I think. But I will ask, yeah. why Matthew? Well, that, that's a, uh, there's two answers uh, to that question, Jeff. Uh, first of all, kind of the, the personal answer would be, uh, I've, I've had an interest in Matthew's Gospel since seminary, so since the late 70s. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to do, you know, doctoral studies specifically on the Gospel of Matthew. So when Concordia Publishing House was looking for a Matthew author in the late 90s, um, I had just finished my dissertation not too uh, long before that, and they, they sort of approached me and made the mistake of asking, and I said yes. So, so it, Matthew has actually been a, a lifelong, in terms of my professional and ministerial career has been a lifelong interest for my, for my uh, work. So. so did you have the option of something else at, uh, your, in your graduate studies, or did you intentionally... Well, I, 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 th I had thought Gospels and probably Synoptics, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but Matthew was a natural thing, and uh, Jack Kingsbury, whom you know, uh, was my doctor father, and so Matthew was just, just fell right into place. It, it really did. It fell right into place. So it's been exciting. Yeah. Serendipitous or something. Yeah. And then yeah. when you think about it from the church's point of view, um, although Luther personally was more of a fan of John, right. as you know, right. um, historically the Gospel of Matthew has been uh, sometimes even called the church's gospel. Mm -hmm. um, one Catholic scholar claims, at least in some of his work, that um, in the first five centuries, uh, as far as we know from the evidence that does exist, from the Fathers. Matthew is cited more often than any of the other Gospels, and the Sermon on the Mount within Matthew right. more than any other discrete unit of text. So, right. so it's really, uh, if uh, I realized a couple of weeks ago, if I had stopped to think about the magnitude and the significance of Matthew, I might have said no, but I didn't, so I didn't. Right. So here we are. No, it is uh, striking the use in the early church of Matthew, really more than any Gospel. In fact, right. I, I came across a reference uh, just a couple of days ago that apparently the Gospel of Mark has only two firm citations prior to the end of the third century. Interesting, yeah. Um, so, you know, Jim's commentary, Phelps' commentary on Mark is completely useless, apparently. Well, you're the uh, Concordia Currents guy, so I'll let you say that. Uh, so. Okay. Well, we'll wait for that <laughs> but I am his editor, so it's all very in-house. So, yeah. yeah. So he gets one volume and you get three. Is that what it is? I, I guess, yeah. It's 28 chapters and uh, it's, a, it's a lot of, uh, lot of important teaching. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of length, uh, yeah. the, the title is striking. It is Matthew 11, 2 to 20, 34. Right. Now, not being a Matthew guy myself specifically, it kind of looks like you randomly had a page count and said, okay, 11, 2, I'll stop, and right. 20, 34, I'll stop. Right. And is, there, is there a rhyme or reason to this division of the commentary? Uh, well, there's a secondary rhyme or reason, if I could say it that way. Um, uh, a lot of it, to be honest, has to do with the publishing house wants to get material published in a timely way, which is a good concern. Uh, it has to do with how often I get a sabbatical. <laughs> so, uh, but, but there is uh, some uh, correspondence in that uh, I'm following, as you probably know, an outline uh, for Matthew that 
takes essentially the first four chapters and then essentially five through 16 and then 17 to the end as the narrative flow of the gospel. Right. But this actually works fairly well. The first volume ended right before John the baptizer asks Jesus, are you the coming one or shall we look for another? And that's kind of the middle of a, one of these large sections, but it is the place where the conflict over Jesus' true identity really begins to ramp up in Matthew. So that's, it's not a bad place to end the first volume. Uh, I like, some people call that the volume of ones because it's entitled Matthew 1-1 one, one, to 11-1. <laughs> a little false advertising right. there. Right. But uh, uh, in this, uh, uh, in this uh, commentary volume, uh, we've begun the, the last major section of Matthew where the passion predictions right. emerge, like in Mark's outline, as right. you know. Um, and you get all three of them. And then this volume ends with uh, the Lord Jesus about to enter Jerusalem, where the conflict, of course, will break wide into the open. Mm -hmm. um, those three chapters and the eschatological discourse and then the passion narrative. So right. it, it makes some... It does make some sense some to divide sense. it, but it's probably more driven Prag by yeah, pragmatics. Pragmatics yeah. is important okay. in the church as well. Fair yep. enough. Yep. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, and again, even though I'm not a, a sort of a Matthew expert by any means, I do have, I counted nine commentaries on Matthew. On right. The there's, there's a lot of them out, actually. So why do we need uh, another commentary on Matthew? Right. Well, uh, in a way, we don't. And I don't, don't uh, kid yourself, I've had that thought more than once in uh, working away. Uh, what's really interesting, I might mention this, is that uh, w when I began my doctoral work in the late 1980s, there were about two decent commentaries mm -hmm. in English right. on Matthew's Gospel. Uh, and in the 90s, there was this explosion. Right. Uh, as you know, Don Hagner's fine two-volume work and the magisterial Davies and Allison, Ulrich Lutz, his work has uh, come out in the Hermeneia series. So, so there are a lot of really fine resources. Um, and, uh, and I would say that uh, if it succeeds, the, the Concordia series and this particular work uh, might make a contribution because it has two, um, two things going for it. One is, uh, just because everyone writes from a location mm -hmm. and nobody writes objectively, I mean, uh, Wissenschaftlich is one of the most abused right. uh, adjectives in German or English, you know. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, it has been since the 1930s, since a major uh, exegetical work on Matthew came out by an Orthodox Lutheran, if I can mm. use that phrase, okay. uh, R.C.H. Linsky's commentary. And there's right. been other work, to be sure, Martin Franzman's yeah. beautifully poetic Follow Me. But it's um, really a, uh, what, a guide through Matthew. It's it really, really is, and, there's, right. and it's not very specific right. in terms of exegetical right. work, although it's driven by tremendous insight. Right. Um, so there's that contribution. Uh, and... Uh, there's also uh, the approach that I've tried to take in that um, a lot of commentaries uh, in general, as you know, uh, tend to be a little on the atomistic side. Mm. So verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. Um, and uh, and uh, they, they may run the risk of losing sight, not of the forest, but of the glades within the forest. And uh, a part of my training... Uh, in graduate work was to pay very careful attention to the level of the paragraph or the unit, mm -hmm. locating it within the larger structural flow. Right. So, so if this commentary makes a, a contribution, I think it, it tries to do that at least. Um, the theology of a paragraph. Now in light of the larger whole and right. trying to pay attention to the details, 
Uh, but I, I keep in mind, actually, as I'm working uh, myself at age 30, that is to say, a pastor who's preaching every week, um, cares about Greek, needs some help, um, can do his own sermon outlines, thank you very much, but he could use some help, some, some grist for his mill in looking at a discernible unit of text and saying, well, okay, what are the themes that are here? Mm. And how does the way this text shaped, whether it's narrative or teaching material, whatever, uh, how does that promote uh, a particular star in the scriptural constellation, mm. if I could say it that way? Okay. So that's, that's kind of the hope uh, that I have is that it makes a contribution on that level as well. So, so sort of holistic rather than a um, atomistic, as you say. Exactly. But, but not Lutheran in a sense of every passage is sort of, you know, law gospel or something. No, exactly. Right. That, right. That's simply not true. Right, right. Well. <laughs> right, yeah. According well. to the great doctor. Right, well, it's, it's simply not true. Simply yeah, not true. Yeah, that's okay. Right. Yeah, not true Not yeah. true <laughs> um, Well, I, I mean, I'll, maybe I'll ask this. Uh, any particularly um, striking passages or sections of this in this commentary that you were sort of... Uh, found something new or hadn't thought of before or particularly uh, pleased with how it turned out? Uh, yeah, well, that, that's, a good, that's a good question. I mean, there's so much richness here. Um, well, for instance, I remember just uh, about two weeks ago, you preached in chapel on Matthew 11. Mm -hmm. And then uh, our colleague David Schmidt preached on Matthew 11. Two very fine sermons, but, but the text is so rich right. that the sermons were very different. Um, and our pastor at our home church preached last Sunday on Matthew, Matthew 11. 11. Guess what? Another very fine textual sermon, but very different. So, um, so there is a lot of uh, wealth there. Some classic passages like the, the Confession of uh, St. Peter at Caesarea, of right. Philip, and so forth, the Passion Predictions and whatnot. Um, I w I'll just pick one thing, and it, it may sound funny to you, uh, but uh, what's really been uh, fun to me is to uh, further appreciate uh, the broadly-based portrait of Peter. Hmm. Uh, because he comes up in some pretty significant ways. Oh, sure. Uh, he's the guy who walks on the water in chapter 14. And uh, he obviously is the spokesman who confesses Jesus as the Christ and Son of the living God uh, in chapter 16. Then, of course, he turns right around and tries to inhibit, prevent Jesus from going to the cross mm -hmm. uh, in uh, chapter 16, verse 22 and following. But what's been really fun is to see how Peter is, on the one hand, um, uh, he's really not unique. He, uh, Matthew portrays him as uh, consistently as a representative figure and how he's really never smart. Hmm. Uh, it's right. very consistent. Um, and uh, it was especially fun in that walking on the water passage because, you know, you hear this, you know, Peter is bold, he right, gets out of the right. boat, you know, in the church we should get out of the boat, right, and, right. you know, and, and uh, that, that's just uh, simply not what Matthew is about. Uh, so so the, I have to say, I, I didn't expect to find that about St. Peter, uh, even to the point where, uh, where when he tries to distinguish himself from the others, he fails. <laughs> So he tries to distinguish himself in chapter 14, and what does he do? He ends up sinking below the water. Um, as I say in the commentary, he should have believed Jesus the first time, the way the other people apparently did. Uh, and the other one, which uh, is actually coming up uh, in chapter 26, of course, is where Peter uh, uh, tries to distinguish himself from the others after they have left the upper room. Right. And he says, with irony that is so thick you can cut it with a knife, even if it is necessary for me to die with you, I will never deny you. Right. And 
And then, but then what Matthew writes is, and they all said the same thing. See, and so, and so uh, the portrait of Peter and how he functions, uh, I think, is theologically important, but it's also homiletically. Again, I, it's theology in the surface of teaching and preaching. And um, so that was an unexpected thing. I mean, there's lots of other richness. I really enjoyed working on the parables. I'd, I thought about uh, chapter 13 for, again, many years. Yeah, and we happen to disagree, but that's okay. No, no, that, absolutely. It's absolutely fine, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, I would say that's one thing that really stood out was what I discovered about, yeah. about Peter. Yeah. Just, a, just a guy. Interesting. Yeah. Just a spokesman uh, who only knows what he knows because it's been revealed to him, hmm. which is another very important theme in Matthew, as you know. Yes, yeah, yeah uh, God hides things from the wise and understanding, and he reveals them to babies like Peter, yeah. or me, you know I mean. or you, yeah, exactly. Right. Good. Yeah, yeah. One other uh, passage, maybe just if you could uh, talk about a little bit. I was struck by uh, the way you titled some of these pericopes. Yeah, right. I, and, and I tried to do that in suggestive or maybe unexpected ways. No, no. And yeah, I think yeah. that's helpful. It frames, uh, before you even read the text, kind of gives you a little opening to get into it. Right, right. Um, but the, what we typically call the feeding of the 5,000, you know, as mm -hmm. generic a label as you could possibly have. Right. Uh, you title, Israel's God Feeds the People in the Desert. Mm -hmm. Now, just kind of walk us through why you picked that title and what you're trying to emphasize uh, what Matthew's doing there. Right. Well, uh, again, um, there's a couple things going on there. One is that, of course, in Matthew, all the Gospels are this way, but um, Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God is with us. Mm -hmm. um, so the reign of God is being manifested uniquely in this one whom, you know, we confess because of the joint testimony of the New Testament as the second person of the Trinity now incarnate. That's more Johannine language. but. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, uh, what I thought I saw, at least in this unit, is uh, echoes uh, both of Old Testament events and themes, as well as a trajectory uh, that moves all the way to the last day. Hmm. That is, the God who feeds, right. the God who provides. And so the obvious passages have already come to your mind, and probably most of the people who might be uh, listening to this, the manna in the wilderness, uh, the banquet at which uh, many will come from east and west, right. chapter 8, and sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm -hmm. um, so, so again, it was an attempt to say, look, uh, Matthew isn't just showing Jesus showing off here, but rather there's a theology here um, that fits into the, again, it's kind of forest and trees, mm -hmm. you know, fits into the broader biblical um, theme uh, of just what it says, Israel's God in this person now is feeding the people in the wilderness where the creation is broken mm -hmm. and yet he comes to restore and there's this f sudden unexpected fruitfulness right. which is a beautiful uh, beautiful truth right. yeah so so it's an example of uh, you're connecting the pericope within the narrative of Matthew also the larger the larger scriptural narrative, narrative right. and it's not just he did a miracle he's divine right exactly right, right. it's yeah. yeah and so in that sense I, the title could even be misleading I hadn't thought about that this is not just proof of Jesus' deity. Mm -hmm. it's, it's more the economy of salvation. Right. This is what right. God does. This is what God typically does for his people. Mm -hmm. And here's yet one more and instance. And has done, is doing, and will continue and to do. And will continue to do. That's exactly right. right. And, yeah. and this is part of our inheritance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and towards the end of the, the uh, textual notes there, uh, I think 
Matthew does a lot of things in the gospel where um, the way he describes and the language that he uses uh, when you get to the end and to the passion narrative, you say, didn't I just read this? And so the way he describes things evokes uh, proleptically the way he's going to describe events in 26 and 27 especially. And so there's a lot of, as you know, a lot of similarities of language, overlap of language between the feeding of both the 4,000 and the 5,000 and 15 and 14 and the institution of the Lord's Supper, mm -hmm. which again is not to say that the passage is about the Eucharist, but that it allows us to locate and to really even argue that Matthew intends us to locate mm -hmm. that ongoing meal in our pilgrim existence as the church. Uh, this is not the only way, of course, but a major and chief way that Yahweh God mm -hmm. continues to provide uh, sustenance for his people. So yeah. it's very cool, actually. Yeah. And, uh, as I like to say, you like to say it to the students, it's amazing what you find out when you actually read the Bible. <laughs> so. Well, it's obvious. I always find it, um, you can tell pretty quickly when you read a book uh, how much the author enjoys his subject. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. pretty obvious that you, you like Matthew. Oh, that's, well, that, that's, that's a, interesting that's you say. I, I do actually yeah. like it, and uh, it's, it's, I've been working at it more or less for 20 or 25 years. Yeah. And, it's, and that's evident. So, yeah, uh, it's a lot of fun. Very much appreciated. And, uh, uh, well, I'll just do the commercial. I strongly encourage, you know, it's the end of the tax year. If you need a tax write-off for your library. Exactly. Or if you need to uh, spend your next year's budget on book allowance. Great uh, Christmas presents. Great Christmas presents. Right. Uh, Series A, perfect timing. Yeah, it uh, came out all right. So uh, uh, Matthew 11, uh, 2 through 2034. I had to look up the title again. <laughs> Get all the numbers and, right. <laughs> uh, available from uh, cph.org, uh, probably Amazon.com. I think so, yes. yes. And uh, uh, I'm sure Jeff will be happy to autograph it if you stop on by St. Louis. For free. And uh, so thank yeah. you and congratulations good. on the new volume. Yeah, thanks, Jeff, very much. Yeah, good. Well, thank you for tuning in to Concordia Journal Currents.